You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. all ready for the final night on the spirit of mammon or were you tired of listening to it is it you you got us the final night did you say spear or fear huh i said spirit of mammon oh spirit i thought you said spear i didn't okay i said spirit of mammon i don't know okay so praise the lord uh so we uh before i forget i want to say something that i had something brought to my attention um a little while back uh and i want to make sure i say this um i said something and i didn't say it uh, I didn't, well, I, I said something that was incorrect, and so I want to make sure that I, I correct this, and so in the past, I normally have said that one of the things that Jesus talked about most was finances, but I actually said Jesus talked about finances more than anything else, and after doing a little bit of research and looking at some things, that's not 100% accurate. Well, if it's not 100% accurate, it's 100% wrong. Let's just put it that way. So I have no problem admitting that I missed it. So I have heard that for years, and then I had somebody come to me, and they said, you know, from my studies, I don't think that's exactly right. And so I went and looked, and sure enough, that really is not, is not accurate. Um, Jesus did talk about finances a tremendous amount, more than most things. But there were a couple other things that he mentioned uh, more. But one of the things he did is he inter, inter, uh, interwove, uh, interweaved, he intertwined finances with a lot of things to bring about other other principles. And so depending on how you look at it would determine the level of how much he, he talked about it. But I wanted to clarify that, that he actually didn't talk about finances more than anything else, but he did talk about it more than most things. So I just wanted to set the record straight. Uh, some of you probably don't even remember me saying that, and it's no problem. But if I say something that's wrong, I want to correct it and make sure that I say it, say it right. So amen. You know, there's one thing that, that ministers need. I said this before, but I'll say it again. Paul told Timothy, um, so in all of Paul's uh, letters, he wrote uh, grace and peace at the beginning of every one of his letters except for three, which is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, which we often refer to as pastoral letters. And those he wrote grace, mercy, and peace. You know why? Because if there's one thing that leaders need, it's mercy. So thank you for your mercy. And we Amen. all need mercy. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank God that his mercies are new every morning. But you're a leader, so you also need mercy. I definitely need yeah. mercy. I want to say this. I was thinking about this. What? That it's pretty cool that we get to minister together. It is. You know? There was a time when it didn't work very well. We tried no. to minister, and it just didn't work. It didn't work at all. And now we're awesome. Look at us. Yeah. We're just amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> you got to have fun. We had a lot of fun this morning, too. Yeah, this is, this is going to be a good and, night. And we'll just say, like, I was the one who wasn't fun to minister with. It wasn't you. You you always do good at ministering. I just wasn't confident in it, but I have grown, Holly. Now you're yeah. a confident daughter. I am a confident yeah. daughter. I thought you were good at it. But yeah. actually, see, what here's what happens. And this is why you need to do 301, okay? Yes. Uh, when I We went to Brazil two, two years ago, and... She, we had a lady pass away, and when we came back, well, while I was gone, and Ron was was with me, and they said, well, can, they asked for me to do the funeral, and I said, well, Candy's in Brazil, and they said, well, can Ron do it? And I said, well, Ron's in Brazil, too, and they said, well, who's going to do it? And when I was talking to Liz, I said, that's, it's on you. I said, you're the one to do it. And so I she, was like, are you kidding me? 
She, so she did. The, and he wasn't kidding. No, yeah, no, she she did it. But then that next Sunday, she got up and received the offering or shared something, and it was like next level. See, sometimes you just got to step out, and you don't know what you got until you step out and just just get bold with it. I had a I had a man actually. It was in actually it was in a church in Bonterre, fifteen years ago. There was a church here, and I went there. And there was a guest speaker there named Dave Dewell. Anybody in here ever heard of Dave Dewell before? And Dave, it was, Terry remembers. Um, and Dave gave me a word, and it was the first word I ever had about preaching. I'd never preached. I just, we just got out of Bible college, and I'd never preached anywhere except just in like a class setting. And uh, he didn't know me or anything, but he came up to me and he goes, and he didn't know I went to Bible school. He didn't know anything. He comes up to me and he says, Next time you preach, he said, you'll know you're called to do it. He said, you'll, you'll sense the anointing on you when you do it. I was like, well, praise God. I mean, he didn't, he didn't know anything. And it wasn't actually the next time, but it was two times. I got up, and I, I sensed the anointing for the very first time. But, you know, I, I, if I hadn't have gotten up and done something, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have had that experience of flowing with the Lord and seeing what was, what was in me and how God could use me. So you just got to be bold and step out and, and uh, trust the Lord. Amen. And if you can trust the people you're around, you know, sometimes whenever it comes to doing things and pulling people out of their comfort zone and getting them to do things, sometimes they do stuff that they're just not very good at. And sometimes I do stuff that I'm not very good at. And I go, well, I know I'm not too good at that. You know, a lot of what we do in this life, it's not super spiritual. I'm just being honest. A lot of what we do in church, like it's a, it's a process of elimination. There's been lots of times where I'm like, I really, this is going to be awesome. And it just totally flops. And I'm like, well, I thought it was going to be awesome, but we're just going to keep moving forward. And we'll find a different way to, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as the, the saying goes. And so you just find another way to, to minister to the need, to, to meet the people, to help people, to have the ministry, whatever it is. You just find a different way to do it. Amen. And so sometimes when we're stepping out and learning about who the Lord is uh, and who we are in him, sometimes it just doesn't always go perfect, but you just keep moving forward. And before you know it, you'll begin to discover things that God has placed in you and gifting and how you flow and how you work and how you operate. And before you know it, you'll be ministering in a vein that God's called you to. May not be in front of the in front of people, but then I've had other people, and, and now I can identify it on people pretty usually pretty quickly when I'm around them. I'm like, there's an anointing there to minister the word. I can I can identify it. And usually it's on uh, not always, but often it will be on people that have no idea. They're they're totally oblivious to it. And I'll have to call that out of them and then give them opportunity. And uh, but that's fun. I like doing that kind of stuff. So, anyways, we're off track. So let's get back to the word. Y'all ready to receive the word? Yes. I already asked you that once. You're like, yes, yes, we are. Okay. So we're gonna get into um, talking about another way that mammon uh, manifests. And so last week we talked about just to catch everybody up very quickly. Last week we talked about that mammon can manifest through. Uh, through fear is one of the ways it manifests is through fear. And this is all, all going back to Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. And then he goes into talking about and explaining for people to not worry but to get themselves out of worry and to trust the Lord. And so basically when you're trusting in yourself and you're in worry and you're trusting in what, what money can do for you, you really have come underneath of mammon versus if you get to a place to where you're not in worry and you're not in fear, then you, you essentially, you can be trusting the Lord like that. And so uh, we're called 
to be able to take our money and not have our money rule us, but we rule over our money. And someone that has money ruling them is really somebody that we call a slum, someone living under mammon. It's an acronym that you can, uh, you can remember it. So a slum is someone living under mammon. And so if you're living under mammon, you are slumming. You're not living at the highest level of what God has really called you to. So praise the Lord. And so we talked about, um, I think we had 10 different attributes or signs of someone living under mammon. That was uh, kind of the first week I think we talked about that. And we're not going to go back through all that. But then we talked about different ways that mammon will manifest through. And one of those ways is fear. And if you missed that, you need to go back and listen. Last week, there was a lot, the last three weeks, really, because this is actually week four uh, here. Uh, in Perryville, we did it in three somehow. But here, it's taking us four. It's no problem. But um, you need to go back and listen to the other ones because this is kind of a building thing. But tonight, we're going to talk about how mammon will manifest our work through flesh. So it can work through fear, or you could say a spirit of fear or an attitude of fear, but it can also work through our flesh. And so um, if it just basically just imagine there's a big fire up here and uh, we're getting ready to throw your flesh on the fire tonight. And it's going to be really awesome. Okay. Thank you for those three amens. Everyone else can be dismissed. <laughs> But how many of y'all know that we need, we need a little bit of uh, flesh on the fire sometimes, and we just need, we need a little checkup from the neck up? And <laughs> so the Bible says, dude, I, love, I shared this this morning, I'm going to say it again. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And when that, that word there for carnal, when it says to be carnally minded, it, it actually means uh, it means flesh. It means meat. So if you're being carnally minded, you're being meat minded. You're being a meathead. So don't be a meathead. To be uh, to be a meathead is to be death. To be carnally minded that will help you remember it. Amen. To be carnally minded uh, brings death, but to be spiritually minded brings life and peace. Amen. So sometimes we just got to go and deal with the flesh. Because here's the deal. When we got saved, it changed. we got changed on the inside. Our spirit man got changed. But now we're in the process of working out the salvation that we've, we've been given from the Lord. And so we still have to deal with our body. And we have to deal with our soul, which is our mind, will, emotions, and conscience. And so as long as we are here on this earth, we're going to have to continue to contend against that. And, and this is what I've come to find out. A lot of the contending we deal with, uh, I spent a lot of time in the in the prayer room warring against the devil when I really I didn't know I didn't know it but I was the problem. It was just my stinking thinking. It was just the way that I was processing things. It was the way I was viewing myself. It was the way I was viewing people and situations. And so I was just acting in the flesh. And really, honestly, that probably is the biggest challenge that we have in this life is just dealing with flesh because we don't have a mind that's renewed according to the word of God and according to who we are right now in Christ Jesus. And the greater revelation we have of who God is, who we are, and who we are in him, and we draw from that reality, the less flesh we'll have to deal with. But until our toes turn up, as my grandma used to say, <laughs> until my old toes turn up is how she would say it, uh, we're going to have to deal with flesh until that point. So we better just get used to having a daily routine of throwing our flesh on the fire. 
just like you, hopefully you shower, you know, once a day, ideally, I guess. Not everybody maybe does. But anyways, and you have a cleansing that goes on. Well, you just need to have a, a cleansing of your flesh and put it in the fire once a day. It's a good thing. This is why Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. The cross was an instrument of death. During that time, they, we, look, we look at the cross and we look back on it as, as a beautiful picture of, of what Jesus did for us. And it is. It's an awesome picture. And there's so many things about the cross. And the Apostle Paul wrote tons of things about the cross. But when Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he talked to them about the cross, he was talking about what they used to kill people. It would be like, and this would still be even a little bit dated, but it would almost be like if, if Jesus was alive nowadays, he'd say, uh, pick up your electric chair and follow me. I mean, it really, it was, it was equivalent, or pick up your lethal injection or however they put, do, deal with people on death row. It would be equivalent to that. He was saying, pick up your cross and follow me. In other words, he was saying, pick up your death stick and die on it every single day. And if you're not willing to do that, then you can't be my disciple. Those are Jesus' words, not my words. You can go read it for yourself. That's, that's actually what he's asked of us. You know what that is? It's just a daily coming to the Lord. It's not about perfection. Nobody, nobody arrives to a level of perfection, but it's about a willingness to say, Lord, I'm going to allow you to continue to deal, with, to deal with me. I'm willing to come on the altar and have you deal with the stuff in my life that needs to be dealt with. And you know what? He is so loving and kind and gracious and merciful. I mean, he's like, he's like the only dad that you could ever get a spanking from that you really enjoy it. I, I just don't know, know another way to say it because I've had many times when the Lord, like, I'll be in his presence and his word and he'll show me, you are wrong. And all at the same time, I could not feel any more loved. That's how awesome God is. But we just have to be willing to let loose of things. Right. And the more I believe or that I have come to know to die to myself, like the more you actually crave that because you want his correction. You want to go his way and not your way because you know that ultimately his way is the best way and that he has good plans and purposes. Like this is why we say so many times and we'll continue to say like the cornerstone that of your belief is that you need to know and realize that God is good right. and that God is for you and that he has good plans for you because if you don't have that cornerstone, then you're not going to want to get on the altar daily. You're not going to want to have a different mindset. You're not going to be want to be transformed by, um, by him, by the image that we behold, which is him. And so we have to know God is good. And in that place, then all of a sudden we're like, he's so good. And he has so many great plans and purposes for me that I ultimately, I want what he wants. Like that is the greatest reality and the greatest truth, one of the greatest truths that we can come to is that God has so many good plans for us. And when we realize that we're the ones, here's the thing, that God isn't the one that gets in the way. We're the ones who get in the way of that, like with our own selfish ambitions and with our own selfish desires, because the flesh always wants what the flesh wants. It is never content. It will continually have you going after those things that it desires till all of a sudden you're like, how did I even get here? But it's like this beautiful place where the Lord is always like, come, 
come to me. You cannot be too far gone that he will not invite you in. He will always invite you in, and he will always say come, and he will always say lay it down and watch how all of a sudden where you think these places of ashes cannot be made beautiful, I will make them beautiful, and I will create this amazing testimony that you can use for my glory. So that's so awesome. I think about the the woman at the well, and you know she was uh, she was there, and and Jesus, you know, read her read her mail and said, you know, you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. And she said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, Jesus was a prophet. And um, so, but then after that conversation was over with her, uh, she she left and she went and told her friends. She went and told people that you need to come and meet this man, for he told me everything that I ever did. And if you think about that, here, Jesus, most of what we can see that he actually told her had to do with her sin, but yet she was so graced and so loved that she went away saying, come and meet this guy that told me all of my sin. You got to meet him. Why was she drawn to go back there? It's because Jesus wasn't condemning her. Jesus was loving her in the midst of what she had gone through and probably and was currently dealing with. This is the, this is the perfect balance of grace and truth. And it seems like the pendulum almost, whenever you've got some movement happening in the church, it's the Lord emphasizing something, but usually people take it and the pendulum swings so far one way, and the next thing you know, it swings so far the other way. But there's a balance to this thing. And the Lord wants us to know and understand his grace and his love and mercy, but he also wants us to operate in truth. They're not supposed to be apart from each other. They're supposed to go together. And so if you only ever have truth that's being given or your perception of the Lord is only he's telling me the stuff that I need to know or the things that I'm doing wrong, and that's your perception of the Lord, then you don't have all of the, the full picture of how God really relates to us, and you're going to view him as a harsh God. You're going to view him as a God that only cares about you getting your stuff straightened out. But on the flip side, if you only view God, it's like, oh, he's gracious, and he just, oh, he just loves me, and you don't care anything about being free from sin and living holy and, and reflecting the righteous nature that we have, and you're going to find yourself living off in la-la land, acting like a whatever kind of person, not caring that what you're doing actually does matter. There's a marrying of grace and truth that should be there. So praise the Lord. And that's, if you can, if you can have that understanding it's easier to go to the Lord and allow him to deal with your issues. Allow him to deal with the flesh that's that's out of control or not in the right place. And listen, everybody's got stuff. Everybody has stuff. I don't believe in, in putting on a church face in the sense of being a hypocrite, but I also believe that we should allow the Lord behind closed doors to deal with our stuff. You know, there's a level of transparency that's good to say, man, I was dealing with this and God set me free or here's how, here's how he helped me. Uh, and, and that's fine. But at the same time, we have to be able to go in our secret place, in our quiet place with those that love us that will help us get past the things that we need to get past. But let me tell you something. If there, you ever see somebody that you think or they give you the impression that they don't have something to work through in their life, you have the wrong impression of they're lying to you. Everybody has got stuff to work through. So we just get that out in the open from the get-go. 
Everybody's got stuff. Let's let God deal with the stuff. Because the things that hinder us in this life, it's not the Lord. And to be honest with you, it's not the devil. There's too much emphasis put on the devil. Last time I checked, Jesus defeated him. He's a liar. The only thing he does is lie. And that's the only power that he can have is what we give him when we believe his lies. That's the only power he has. Amen. Most of our issues that we come that we have are just us. They're just us issues. So we have to come to this place where we're like, you know what, God? I know you love me and you care for me, but I also know you want me to get past this thing. Amen. So now that we got the fire fired up, are you all ready to jump in? <laughs> so let's talk about, let's pull this first slide up here. We've got some slides for you tonight to help illustrate this. So we're going to talk about, about flesh. And so flesh, again, this is how mammon, just to bring everything full circle, we're talking about finances. We're talking about the spirit of mammon. And one of the ways that mammon will manifest is, is simply through our flesh. And flesh is um, it has a spectrum to it. So we're going to talk about the spectrum. So the first end, the far end uh, of the flesh spectrum is just, it's complacency. And if somebody didn't know better, they could get con complacency confused with just being content. We should always be content, but we should never become complacent in any area of our life. We should be full-fledged, all the way on, on fire for Jesus, moving forward in every single area, including our finances. But a complacent attitude says, uh, I don't need any more. And that, some of you might think, well, shouldn't we get to a place to where we say that? If, you're, if your finances are the Lord's and you are a steward over your finances, how could you ever get to a place to where you say, I don't need any more? Aren't there needs still in this earth? Doesn't the gospel still need money poured into it? Isn't there still poor people? Jesus said the poor will always be with you, and he told us to help the poor. So isn't it true that we always need more money? So to get to a place of just complacency of going, you know what, I've got everything I need, and I don't, I don't need any more. Now, I want to balance this because different people are different stages in, the, in their life, and you can be at a place to where, you know, you're retired, you're on a fixed income or something. I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about a mindset of like me, my four, no more, and I don't care about anything else. Because you could have that, you could have that mindset at any point in your life. We are here for a purpose, and the purpose is to take what's important to the Lord and see it go forward. And you know that it takes money to, to make that happen. It takes money, every area of the kingdom, every area of the gospel, every area that has to be propelled forward in this life on this earth, it requires finances to make it happen. It just does. And you know what? It's not a problem for God. It's a problem for us sometimes, but it's no problem for God. And I would say that complacency, too, will put a cap on you. And yeah. when you're capped, then you cannot go forward. And the thing is, we are called to be people of faith. We are called to journey with the Lord and keep moving the kingdom forward, which requires us to not have a cap. Now, don't misunderstand. You can have, like, you could have defined, like, I have enough to meet my needs and some of my wants or whatever. But then this is why it's so important that you have giving goals. Because here's this is so fun. Because when you have giving goals, what you're saying is, like, I have this extra that I want to make sure that 
I can give unto everything that I purpose in my heart so I can continue to see the the gospel go forward. And in this place, you have an open hand and you say, everything is yours, Lord. And I am going to, you can give it to me and then it can be funneled through. I'm going to, I have my needs met, but then I still have goals that I have sought you about. And I, I want to, I want to participate with the kingdom of God. I want to have faith. I want to continue moving the gospel forward. And this is what's so fun with journeying with the Lord. Yeah. Amen. You know, if you get to a point to where you have you have enough money for your vision, your vision is not big enough. We should always be faithing, believing God for more. Does that make sense? This is not a condemning thing. This is just like a reality check. Like we should never get to a place where we go, hey man, everything's cool. I got everything I need. I got everything I want. I'm set. That should never be a part of our lifestyle. I want to be like Caleb. He was 80 years old and he said, Lord, give me, how do he say, give me my mountain, something like that. But yeah, I want to to be like that. I want to still be moving forward. I want to still be believing God. I want to still be giving of my time, my resources, finances, all that kind of stuff. That's the attitude we're supposed to possess. But, you know, mammon can actually get you to a place of complacency and really only caring just about just your little little deal and not not wanting more. It's not unholy to want more. good and we have to remember too like i was pausing for effect but had more to say okay go ahead go ahead (laughs) it is not unholy to want more it's unholy and we're going to look at the other end of the spectrum here in a second it's unholy to lust after more just to heap it upon yourself not that you can't have your your wants and things that's fine god's not concerned about that but it's not wrong to want more because see what happened. Remember the whole pendulum thing? There's revelation that came in the, in the church years ago, and it's continued, you know, concerning finances and prosperity. And then there were some people that took prosperity, and they begin to use the message and abuse the message. And then many people have thrown it completely out because they didn't like the abuse. Well, I don't like the abuse either, but just because something is, uh, uh, is being abused doesn't mean that everything that's involved with it is wrong. We are called, we are called, listen, if Abraham, who had a lesser covenant than us, was a prosperous man, and part of the blessing, I mean, the primary blessing that Abraham had was righteousness by faith, or righteousness through faith. But you know what? Because of that faith relationship he had with God, it says that Abraham was rich in gold, in silver, and in livestock. He was so wealthy that him and his nephew had to part ways because they had too much to, to live in the exact same location. And if, a, if Abraham had that with a, I, I would call it a lesser covenant, uh, how much more us? How much more are we supposed to have? It's not wrong to want more. I think it's actually wrong to get to a place to where you don't want more for the kingdom of God. I always want to have more because I have so much that I want to, I want to do. I want to be able to give unto every good work as I purpose in my heart. Amen. We're, Praise the Lord. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's right. Yeah. Amen. So the uh, here's the other end of the spectrum. All right, we're going to move we're going to move faster now. Other end of the spectrum is just a and I kind of mentioned it, a lust for more. So one is like I don't need any more. The other one is I've got to have more. I've got to have more. But we're talking about it, this looking like and being involved in the flesh and this lust for more basically says I will be good when I have more. 
And mammon, people that are living underneath of mammon, live, they live in the flesh, and they live at a place of always wanting to have more to try to bring some kind of satisfaction. And when we're doing that with monetary financial things, then we have our focus and our trust in the wrong place. Because you can have the next car, you can have the next house, you can have the next whatever it is that you want or you think that you need. And if you're looking for that to satisfy you, you're going to be very mistaken when you get it. Because there's not anything in this life that can ever satisfy us fully. Only Jesus can do that. And so when it comes to, you know, this, this lust for more, um, this is how mammon will work, is to always get us looking to obtain things, but it's not for obtaining things for the kingdom. It's obtaining things for ourselves. And it, there's, there's a balance to everything. You need to have your needs met. God wants you to have your needs met. You have seed for sowing, and you have bread for eating. You're not supposed to eat your seed, and you're not supposed to plant your bread. <laughs> bread doesn't grow well, and seed doesn't taste good. You ever eat? You know how to, you know, how to know what is your seed and what's not? You take a seed and eat it particularly an apple seed. You eat an apple seed and it tastes gross. It's sour, but you can eat an apple and it's like, wow, this is good. It's because certain things are not meant for you to eat. There's things that you could take, and, and this I've learned this, that you can take and you'll want to do something with it and the Lord will have already spoken. Nope, you're supposed to give that. You're supposed to give that away. And if you go to eat, you go to eat of it, it'll taste sour. It's just, it's just like almost like the blessing is removed off of it from you eating it. That's one way you can tell what's a, what's a seed and what's not. And when the Lord's instructed you to do something, you're like, you know, actually, I'm going to just go ahead and consume this on myself. It just won't taste very good for to you. And uh, so praise God, that's one way you can, you can kind of tell that. But it's okay to have bread to eat. It's okay to have fruit and produce and things to eat to consume. God knows that you need that. But... And so it's okay to, to even to want things, even beyond your need. God, God's fine with you wanting things. There are things that I want. But, you know, there was a time in my life when I wanted things so bad that the wanting had me. I thought so much about what I wanted. And now, I mean, there's things that I want, but it's like, eh, whatever. I'm, not, I'm, I'm only here. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. And if I don't have the stuff, whatever. It's not a big deal. But I've got vision and goal. Uh, goals and different things concerning ministry, the kingdom of God, relationships, things that he's wanting to see go forward. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm after. And so my desire to have more isn't to satisfy me, but it's to satisfy the work that he's called me to. Amen. Hallelujah. And I would just say, you know, selfishness is, is self. It's self-seeking. It's self-centeredness. It's getting you to be focused on you yourself and I and um it cannot it won't propel you forward so that is why it's so good like when it that's why the Lord said seek first the mm. kingdom of God and then everything will be added because it helps keep us having a heavenly perspective it helps keep us um ke that we will be you know keeping God as our source therefore we then manage our money and the money doesn't manage us right. or mammon in this money is just simply a tool when right. we get a revelation that this is a tool that I get to use to exchange for something else then it takes like this pressure off like 
money and what it can do for you, you make it usable and you use it instead of allowing it to tell you what it is that you should do or shouldn't do and get you in fear and then ultimately in the selfishness. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so the next slide, the end result of these of these two spectrums of the flesh is just just that it's just selfishness. This is really the end result, and that's what both of these things are. It is just uh, it's just selfish. It's just being selfish. And there's a verse in James, I meant to look it up, and I just forgot to, but it's in James, and it says that when where there's uh, envying and self-seeking, where envying and self-seeking exist, there is confusion and every evil work. 3.16, James 3.16, where there is um, envying and self-seeking, there is confusion and every evil work. This is like a master key for the devil. Selfishness is like a master key. It will unlock every door for the enemy to be able to come into your life. <laughs> and when you're looking at, particularly in this thing of flesh and mammon, these both ends of these spectrums and uh, end of the spectrum and everything in between, it really just points to all fulfilling self, being concerned about, about self. And Paul said that in the last days that perilous times will come. And I, I mean, you would think, and I can remember roughly when I very first read that or first started reading that years ago, and and I read that, I, I guess in my mind when I thought perilous, you know, perilous is like a as a an extreme kind of deal. And he's talking about a perilous time that would come. You would think it would be uh, just all, like the world's exploding or something. Like in my mind, that's what it is. But the next thing he says, in the last days, perilous times will come and men will be lovers of themselves. <laughs> Step number one, everyone's going to be very in love with themselves. And that's exact, that is exactly what is happening in our world today. And as believers, we have to not get caught up in the spirit of the world. God is the God of this earth, but Satan is the God of this system that's on the earth. The world, the earth, the, the world's system that's operating on the earth, Satan is the one that's influencing that primarily. We're called to influence it as well or influence the hearts of the people, but he is primarily influencing people and he's causing people to get into selfishness. Why? Because James 3.16 says we're envying and self-seeking or selfishness there's confusion and every evil work. If Satan can get people into selfishness, he can have access to their life. Wow. What a revelation. So selfishness is completely opposite of the kingdom of God. It is everything about the kingdom of God, about Jesus, about his life, about the disciples, about what we are called to, it is, it is the complete opposite of selfishness. I'm going to say something. Um, this is kind of strong, but I'm just going to say it anyways because I'm going to say it at some point anyways, and I might as well just let the cat out of the bag. Whenever you know, I've said this like three times a night, but it's always God, God brings something in, and then people usually take it too far. It's the idea of the pendulum swinging or pendulum, however you say it, swinging so far one way, and then it goes all the way back the other way. Well, there was a time when the, when the gifts... The charismatic gifts uh, of God, the grace gifts of God, were, were not really operating in the church. And the Lord gave gifts, and he gave gifts for people to operate in. Everybody understand that. You can read that in the Word. So we had this time that we look back on now, and we called it uh, the charismatic renewal. 
And it was God. It was Holy Ghost. He was awakening his church to the reality of the gifts. But like most other moves, here is one of the ways that the pendulum swung all the way. To, how do you say that? Pendulum or pendulum? I always said pendulum, and then someone recently said, no, it's pendulum. I was like, well, I don't know. It sounds silly to me. So that thing on a clock that goes like this, it swung all the way this way. And here's how it, here's how it swung, is that instead of people taking the gifts, now I'm not saying everybody did this, but instead of people taking the gifts and going, okay, God, thank you for these gifts to glorify you and to minister to people, I have these gifts to promote me. Now, nobody was doing that intentionally, but, and I'm not saying it all came from that. And, and again, the move that God did, it was of God. It's just what people did with it. Same thing happened with the healing revivals of the 40s and 50s. People did weird stuff. Same thing with the, the, the word of uh, faith that came through Brother Hagin so strong. People did weird stuff with it. Same thing that's, um, that's happened with the, this message of grace, the gospel, has come through Brother Andrew and different ones. Uh, people have done weird stuff with it. So it's not the Lord. It's what people do with it. But what has happened, what happened with that is that people got the gifts, and it's like all of a sudden, all of the ministry... And everything revolved around their gift. And we've, we've seen this in the church before. And I actually had somebody tell me, I am a gift to this church. And I was like, well, we are all a gift to the church, number one. Um, but really, Jesus is the main gift to the church and the Holy Spirit because he's the one here with us. And I don't really care all the stuff that you can do. Where's your heart in the matter? That's really the important thing. And so what happened is that the Lord was injecting what his spirit desired to be in his church. And, then, and I think God, it's there because now there's probably been some balance that's come with it. But guess what? When we operate in our gifts, it's not for us. It's for people. And it's to demonstrate the power and the glory of God. It's not to promote us. It's not about us. But what, ha what came out of that in that mentality, and there's residue in different circles and places or whatever. There's this huge emphasis on find your gift, find your gift, find your gift. And I'm not against the tests and all that stuff. I'm not a big fan of them either. But, you know, like take 48 different tests to find out what gift you have, and it's all about you. How about just getting in, serving, loving people, loving on God, and making sure things get done? And when you do that, you're going to see your gift will manifest in the process anyways. Come on now. And so this, I said all that to say this, that so many things, and, and we can, and this, you can say the same with the prosperity message. This wonderful reality has come to the church from the word concerning the fact that God wants us to be wealthy. He has given us uh, uh, wealth. He gives us the power to gain wealth to establish his covenant in the earth. It was true of the Old Testament folks. It's even more true of the New Testament folks. God wants us to have money, but he doesn't want us to take money and it to totally just be the most important thing and become all about us. I saw this guy one time and he was he was teaching prosperity and he was saying right stuff. And he was standing in front of this giant house with and had all these really expensive cars driving behind him in the background. I'm like, right message, wrong spirit. And whenever we get into doing anything and it comes back to us, there's something funky going on. It's supposed to be about Jesus. All ministry is supposed to be about Jesus. All ministry is supposed to be about glorifying him and ministering to the saints. And who gives a flippity flip, rippity rip about us? 
I mean, God does. I mean, he, he cares about you. But whenever we're ministering and doing things, it's, it's not about meeting our needs. It's about meeting the needs of other people. It's about glorifying him. It's about loving, loving people. The church has to get back to this full-fledged, to where when we come in to every situation, we have a there-you-are spirit instead of a here-I-am. And I've just found that if you can get people to just, am I doing okay? Just you can grab my arm, I can settle down. I get excited about this stuff because uh, to me, this is at the very heart of God. Jesus did every, he made everything about everybody else and not himself. And I think people have a, there's a huge identity crisis because they don't just, people just don't know the love of God. Even believers don't know the love of God. And they feel like they have to come and improve themselves. They got to perform. They got to measure up. They got to look what I can do so that they'll be accepted. Man, I'm going to just tell you something. You don't have to do anything to be accepted here. You're already accepted. You're welcome into the fold. You're accepted. <laughs> and the way that you'll, you'll be able to be utilized in the Lord is when you just love God and love people. And before you know it, you'll be, you'll be preaching and praying and prophesying and helping people and ministering and probably scrubbing toilets and hanging lights and doing all kinds of stuff. That's just, well, that's ministry. That's people. That's just the way that it goes. Amen. Hallelujah. I got off track a little bit and we're out of time and we didn't a get to the stuff it. that we need. But y'all get something out yes, of that? Did you, yes, did you hear my heart in that? You see, that's what God is about. Jesus said, listen to this. He said this. This is incredible. He said, to his disciples, he said, the work that, um, the, the works that I did, that you will do, uh, how do you say it? Uh, the works, the works that I, how do you say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the works that I did, you'll do also, roughly, and even greater th than this. And so you can hear the heart of Jesus in there. It wasn't like, all right, guys, try to measure up to my stature. He's like, man, not only are you going to do what I did, you're going to do even greater than what I did. You hear the heart of God in there? It's not about promoting self. It's about promoting other people. Everything is about promoting other people. That's how the kingdom works. And selfishness, so when you find somebody in finances to where they're all wrapped up in self, they they've been so influenced by the spirit of the age, they just probably really don't have any understanding or any... And, and I, when I see people that they're like... And I, and I really, I, I, I probably went through a season where I was critical, and now I just, I feel for people when they can't release what's in their hand, when they can't give, when they can't help meet needs. And, and I'm not pointing at anybody. As far as I know, all of you guys are givers and, and all that. That's awesome. But when I see people, and you've met people like that before to where they're, they're like this with their, their money, and it's because they, they really are operating from a, a, the wrong kingdom. And it's all thinking about self and taking care of self. And, and, you know, there could be things from their past and all kinds of things that have caused them to be like that. But when you step into the reality of the kingdom of God, you're like, man, Jesus, I can trust you with everything. And it's all about you. And I don't have to take care of myself. You'll take care of me. Amen. So, um, yeah, selfishness. So then here's the solution. And we're going to get, did you have something you want to say? I took off. Should have just sat down, but it's good. No, it's amen. Good yeah. So well, the solution. Is okay, here's the solution. Are you ready? Drum roll. <laughs> Surrender your will. <laughs> <laughs> we should. Everybody should come into church like this every week. Sign a surrender. Actually, that's a lot of the time. The reason I just raise my hands. 
and just keep them raised during worship a lot. God, I surrender. Because, man, we deal with some stuff, don't we? Come on, we deal with some stuff. And what we need when we come into worship, we just need to connect with God. Forget our minds for at least a little bit. I mean, you don't want to totally lose your mind, but, you know, get out of your thinking and, and trying to figure everything out. Just come in and lift your arms and just surrender everything to the Lord and watch how God will minister to you. It's a surrender of the will. Let's hit, let's hit a couple of verses here real quick, and then we'll close. If you want to say something, go ahead. Okay, Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Matthew 26, and we're going to look at 36 through uh, 41 here. 38. I'm going to start at 36. Um, and it says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to... Uh, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply depressed. Nope, 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 nope. Jesus was not depressed. Just because sorrow hits you doesn't mean you need to be depressed. He was deeply distressed. And by the way, uh, having sorrow hit you or even being distressed, which I didn't look up that word, but it means something to the effect of, of pressure and some things coming against you. That's not evil. It's what you do with it that becomes wrong. And then verse 38, it says, then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And you would think, I mean, you could just imagine you, if you were there with Jesus, you would say, Jesus, all my plans are dropped. And if I have to get toothpicks to hold my eyelids open, I'm going to pray with you as long as you need be. Nah, that's not what they did. And anyways, verse 39, he says, and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He knew what was getting ready to happen, obviously. And so not only was he going to have to face the physical uh, torture, but up to that, it was the, the emotional things that he was going through. It was the mental anguish that he was dealing with. And this is, and I discovered this morning as we were ministering, I discovered this is the greatest nevertheless in the entire Bible. This is the greatest nevertheless in the history of the entire world. Because he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Imagine if Jesus, if, if he had said, let this cup pass before me, but didn't say, nevertheless, as you will, God. We wouldn't be sitting here today. Who is counting on you to have a nevertheless? You know how many times, let's be, can we be transparent? Can I be transparent? I say we, I mean I, because I'm the one talking. There's been many times in ministry that it's like you, you deal with such, uh, sometimes stuff. Sorrow. <laughs> sorrow that, that hits your heart. And if you don't deal with it right, you just want to throw in the towel. You've probably been there a few times, Donna, am I not mistaken? And... One of the things that has kept me coming back, I love God and I want to do what he wants me to do and I love people, but it's just this very thing that I know that people are counting on me. And if I don't say, Lord, I, see, you can go to the Lord and say, God, I'm really distressed here. I'm, I'm, this is heavy. He can handle that. You can go to the Lord and handle that. But it's how you respond and what you do after that that makes the difference. Because you can go into the Lord 
and pray. And if you come out unchanged, you weren't praying, you were complaining. <laughs> so when we go into the Lord, we can, we can throw the stuff out, but then let's stop the complaining and negativity and start seeking God for solution. And the deal is this solution is always found in his will. It's always found in doing his will. The willing and the obedient will eat the fruit of the land. I want to be both willing and obedient to do what the Lord is telling me to do. It's how you deal with it that makes the difference. And people are counting on your nevertheless. God, this is difficult, nevertheless. How many people have, have ended their life or ended their marriages? Or, or and, and Please, there's grace for every situation. Please understand that. But how many people have had things go on because they didn't put their nevertheless in there? Lord, I'm dealing with this nevertheless. Not my will, not what my flesh is dealing with. Because the problem is, is that we, if we're not careful, we move over into this selfish mode really quickly of like, I don't like this. I hate this. This isn't fair. We get a victim mentality. Could Jesus not have had a victim mentality? I mean, could he not have been justified in having a victim mentality? He did nothing. He loved people. He helped them. He fed them. He performed miracles. He taught them. He helped them. He loved them. He performed miracles. He healed them, and et cetera, et cetera, for years. Did nothing but, but good to people. And then came to this point to where he had to lay down his life. He was God, but he was also a man. Could he not have got, my God, this is awesome. Could he not have gotten into a victim mentality? We, we can't afford to have a victim mentality. We're made in the image of God. It, being a victim is not our, that is not our business. That's the business of the world. It's actually not our DNA to be a victim. That's right. Our DNA is to be overcomers. That's our right. DNA to be um, more than conquerors. Um, that is what our DNA That's is. That's exactly right. Man, hallelujah. And I would like to just add, because this was a great revelation to me, that when Jesus went to pray, that um, you'll see the same word pray in Luke the end of chapter one is when Jesus went away as usual, mm. um, that he withdrew himself to the solitary place to meet with God. And it said, he, and he prayed, but that word prayed there is the Greek word where he switched his will and his desire for the father's desire. So this was not the first time that Jesus went before God, the father and said, not my will, but your will be yeah. done. Like he did this daily. He, this was like what he did. And I love if you keep reading in Luke there that the Peter came to find him and he's like, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, uh, we have things to do. There's people who want us. And so he arose and he said, for this purpose, we can go. Or for this purpose, I have came. And I love that because in that place of switching his will with the father's will, he knew his why. He was connected with why he was actually placed yeah. here on this earth. And it caused him to continue to move forward. Yeah. And we have to, we have to go into that secret place. We have to go into God or just into with the Lord and say, not my will, Lord, 
but your will be done. And that is surrender and that is difficult, but that is the place that the Lord wants us because the thing is, is he knows the purpose that we, he, we were created for. He knows the plans and the purposes that he has for us so that we can finish the race that is set before us yeah. with a victory yeah. to overcome. And it's in that place when we just get with him that we can rise up and we can say, I can go forward because I know now why it is what I'm doing, what I'm doing. Hallelujah. Man, praise God. If you're not attached to your why, you'll probably give up. If you're strongly attached to your why, why you're doing what you're doing, it's, it's motivation, it's fuel, it's what you need to continue to keep, to keep going. Now, hallelujah. It is only found when you go and you surrender your will. That's exactly right. That's it. And that, that language there, we've talked about this when he was saying, not my will, in Luke in particular, when he's saying, not my will, but your will, it, it'll, the, the picture there is it, it was an exchange. It was him saying, Lord, I'm, I'm taking my will and I'm giving it to you because it's not right. I mean, Jesus was never in sin, but he had to, de- he had to deal with the human nature. He had to deal with it. So he went and said, here's my will. Now, God, I'm taking your will. And see, we do that when we get saved. We basically we do that, but we don't usually have enough understanding to stick with it. And then frustration and, and heartache and aggravation and problems and calamity set in. And before you know it, we just are just so far off course. And it's like, yeah, I got saved, but I'm not really pressing in. It's and we a- give up on on what God's called us to. And a lot of it is just because we really we didn't stay there long enough to really hear and see what God's will is and get connected to what he wants. And he didn't go there one time and then leave. He said, as usual, as usual, every day, like he made a commitment in his heart because he got up so early, like early. He got up and went and connected with the Lord. Yes. Daily. So good. I'm going to read two more verses. We're not going to go to the other verses because we're out of time. I just want to read these last two verses here in this passage. It says in verse 40, it says, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping (laughs) and said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? And this is Jesus's greatest hour of need. And they couldn't, they couldn't do it. And then verse 41, he says this amazing statement. He says, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Why? Because the devil is so strong. Nope. It says the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So going and getting before the Lord just aligns your spirit with the spirit and the heart of God, because we're three parts, spirit, soul, and body. And then when our spirit is aligned, then it can get our mind and will and emotions in line, and then we see it manifest in the flesh. Yeah, that's exactly right. Amen. So we just need to stay on the altar and get our minds renewed. Romans, let me quote this, and then we'll quit. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, 
but to the image of this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. First step, get on the altar. Surrender yourself. Second step, have your mind be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We don't have a, a problem spiritually in terms of our relationship with God. What we have is a problem with, with the, the way that we process things that come at us, and that's where mind renewal must be there. We basically, the Christian life is get saved and then renew your mind until you die. Don't stop renewing your mind until you die. Read, pray, study, listen, worship, pray in the Holy Ghost, spend time with the Lord, read, pray, study, and continue that pattern and for the rest of your life, and you'll have a pretty good life. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you just stand? If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.